A few years ago, we interviewed artist Myra Kalman that we had recorded in person before the world went remote. She was such a warm person, and we immediately hit it off. I've always loved seeing Myra's illustrations over the years, particularly when they involve dogs, whether that be on the cover of a magazine or one of her own beautiful books. The love and the humor that she presents with her dog images always makes me smile. And it's interesting to recall that she didn't always feel positively about dogs. Please enjoy this reissue episode that describes Myra's journey to embrace the companionship of dogs in a time of her life when she perhaps needed it most. Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett and I'm your host. Myra Kalman is an Israeli-born American illustrator, writer, artist, and designer. She has written and illustrated 18 children's books and is a frequent contributor to The New Yorker magazine, including creating several covers for the magazine that you may have seen before. After initially being afraid of dogs from a young age, Myra eventually had a change of heart and opened up her world to dogs. She realized how much dogs have to teach us, how they're natural comedians, and how they make us better as people. Myra, it's a pleasure to have you here in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. So tell me about where you grew up. I was born in Tel Aviv. Yes. And then when I was four years old, we moved to New York. First, a a short stint on Upper Broadway at the Hotel Monterey. I only bring that up because Chantelle Ackerman, the artist, also did a movie about the Hotel Monterey. But when she was there, it was kind of a seedy, not kind of, it was a seedy, single, you know, SRO place. When we were there, it was more elder and family and older people sitting on the sidewalk on folding lawn chairs. Wonderful. So there was this wonderful thing about coming to New York in the 50s. It was an amazing time, optimistic and open. And for me, learning the language was incredible and the slang and the action of New York. And did you have dogs growing up? No, absolutely not. There were no pets allowed in the house of any kind, ever. And no mention of animals and no liking of animals. And they were they really were fiercely hated. <laughs> Really? Tell me more about that. I had inherited terror, mostly of dogs, Mm -hmm. because my parents came from Belarus, from little shtetls, and there the story was, and the truth was, that they were very afraid of the dogs of the non-Jews who would terrorize the Jewish children with their dogs. How much and how often, I don't know, but that's that's the legacy. That's what yes. happened. So you couldn't trust people, clearly. Right. <laughs> so, and therefore, how could you possibly trust an animal? Because, you know, that you turn your head and, as I say in my book, the animal would, you know, rip your head off. And so it stayed that way for quite a long time. So that was kind of the idea of dogs. That's what you grew up thinking and your idea of what dogs were. And as an adult later on, did you have a different feeling about dogs, or how how did your first dog come into your life? I probably had lessening of terror, but still a terror presence. Uh But I was also becoming very fascinated with dogs and drawing them and looking at them. So they became part of my storytelling, which is a little bit odd. But at a distance, I said they were completely enchanting and delightful and funny and with pathos and heartrending and brave and all of those things. But then my sister got a little westy and a dog came closer. A little bit closer, mm-hmm. but not that close. And then, uh, you know, as the world presents itself to you, my husband became very ill. And we decided that the children would be happier if there was a dog in the house. You know, that, that we really would be getting a dog for them. 
But little did I know that the dog would become my dearest friend and companion and, and in a way, lifesaver. Mm-hmm. And tell me about this dog. So this dog's name was Pete. We were considering Einstein, but after a few hours of knowing him, we said, that's, that's not going to work out at all. <laughs> and so Pete was the name, probably from our gang or something like that, uh-huh. you know, just like a friendly, happy name. And I wouldn't get too close to him at first. And I, you know, I, I took him to the vet, and the vet said, you're going to have to give him eardrops. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> But little by little, he became my, you know, my pal. And so, and he stayed with me all the time. He was never more than a few feet away from me and really was my constant source of warmth and companionship. He was a mood elevator for the whole family, but very much so for me too. And really uh, gave me great solace through difficult times. And your husband was still alive at that time? Yes. So Pete was... I think that Tibor was sick for five years, and I think we had Pete maybe the last two years. Okay. I know that for me, when I lost my husband, my dogs were very much a part of the last few weeks of my husband's life. They would sit literally just staring at him or sit on the bed with him or sit on the pillow next to him, and they knew something was up. And then afterwards, they got me out of bed every day. They got me out of the house. And I stayed responsible and kind of engaged in my life and in the world through my dogs. And they helped me heal. And so I totally get how that might have been the case with you all. And what kind of dog was Pete? He was an Irish Wheaton. Okay, so I know Wheaton Terriers, and I don't, but I don't know that I know Irish Wheaton. It's a very close cousin. You mentioned that he was sort of like a cartoon. He was a cartoon. He was kind of like a spoingy dog. You know, he jumped up on, <laughs> on, off of all fours, and uh-huh. he was a fluffy... You know, he really was a cartoon, and he immediately became a subject that I would draw. So he was constantly getting dressed up in all kinds of things. He wasn't getting dressed up. I was dressing him. He was very docile and didn't mind, and probably now I should be embarrassed that I made him wear so many costumes because it's not really respectful of him. But that's how it was then. So he was a great visual asset and ended up in many of my paintings. Very much amused. Very much amused, yeah. He amused and he was amused. <laughs> now, Pete was on the cover of The New Yorker. He certainly was. And, and actually, was I just saw Francoise Mouly, who was the cover editor yes. of The New Yorker the other day, and she said that they moved offices and the first thing she put up was that cover. And she said, okay, ah, okay, now I'm home. So you published a beautiful book of illustrations a few years back called Beloved Dog. Tell me about that. The premise was that I had done so many paintings of dogs over the years for magazines, for The New Yorker, for interview, for many books, children's books, adult books, that this would be a a compilation of the best of the ones that I loved. And then I would write an essay with illustrations, of course, of why am I so obsessed with dogs Mm -hmm. and what is it about them? And so you don't have to explain much to people who love dogs, and there are many. Yes. It was a wonderful opportunity to look at photographs of famous people with dogs, to take a look at more dogs and photograph them, and just to be engaged with the idea of that sense of, you know, you really forget all your troubles when you're with a dog. And, and for me, combining walking and looking at dogs is, you know, is, that's the greatest occupation. Absolutely, especially in a city like New York. Yeah. What was it like having a dog like Pete in New York City? Well, you know, when you walk a dog, the wonderful thing is that you don't even look at the faces of the owners. You kind of look at the dog, you say, what's his name or her name, chat about the dog for a bit. You triple your time of what you expect to be outside, which is also wonderful. I mean, the more time you... I mean, if you have the time, obviously, and if I'm an artist in my studio, I 
definitely have the time to leave the studio mm. and walk around. So it's just a way of engaging with the world and with people and feeling grounded, having a purpose, having a job to do, and the serendipity of who you run into. All my work is about that, is the serendipity of what I see in the day. Most of the time, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Mm, I know I the that. general subject, but I don't right. know exactly. And when, I, and when I go outside for a walk and I find that sofa on the street uh -huh. or that amazing-looking person with an, with an incredible outfit and the fashion or, and, you know, or anything, then I say, aha, now I know what I'm painting and how I'm going to work that into the story that I'm telling. So the dog was my, you know, was my conduit and was my, was my walking companion. I love that. Now, Pete left you a few years back? Fuzzy about the dates. That's Something okay. like seven, eight years. Okay, and how did he pass? He was very, very ill, and I refused to let him die. And there were many trips to the vet. I'm sure many people can relate to this. Yes. And not, you know, and there was like, do whatever you have to do. Yes. At a certain point, the doctor said, really, there's, there's nothing that we can do. So, But it was a beautiful morning, and the snow was falling, and my son... And my friend Rick and I, the three of us went and we had a beautiful breakfast and just kind of savored life and savored love. You did an illustrated book about Pete called What Pete Ate from A to Z. Can you tell me a little bit about that book? So Pete, like many dogs, ate everything in sight. <laughs> and I started keeping a list of all the things. He ate my like a camera. And by yes. ate, I mean he chewed part of it. Yes. He, didn't, he didn't digest the entire. But... He did eat things like rubber gloves and, you know, of course, stealing food from the table, you know, veal roast and things like that. Shoes, millions of shoes. And so I started keeping a list because I thought, well, this is just funny because I make lists of many things. And that's one of the things that I love to do. And so I looked at this list and I thought, wait a minute, this is not a list. This is a book, you know, what Pete ate and what he shouldn't have eaten and what he did eat. So it was a very, you know, a very simple alphabet oh, book. fun. Since Pete's passing, you haven't gotten another dog. I think that after Pete died, after that, I started traveling a tremendous amount. You know, I was able to travel a lot more. And I think that that was my replacement, though I, I love traveling. Yes. And the conversation now is, could my son, who's now married, living in a building that doesn't allow dogs, big problema, yes. could we share a dog so that nobody feels that they are not able to, mm. to take off? And I, and I really do like to feel that I can take off. So in the meantime, I have friends. The friend that I walk in Central Park with in the morning, she brings her dog, Hugo, a corgi. So he's a great companion to our walking. I spoke with Isaac Mizrahi a while back, who's a neighbor of yours in your building. And do you get to see his dogs? Oh, yeah. I've known the dog. First, Harry, of course. Yes. The wonderful Harry, who, who Isaac adored yes. more than... Who changed his life. Changed his life completely. Yes. And then Kitty and his husband, Arnold, has a dog named Dean, which for some reason I call Dino all the time. I don't yeah. know why. Probably Dean Martin. So, you know, they're rambunctious, fantastically unruly. Beloved dogs. That's great. Very beloved. Yeah. So you mentioned that you started traveling after Pete passed. I mean, have you traveled all your life? Yes. I mean, I've always traveled. So in your travels, you've met dogs along the way, and there's one that you write about called Krupnik. I still have an apartment in Tel Aviv, and there's a wonderful bookstore that I go to, which is an antiquarian bookstore, and there I met the wonderful Krupnik. Krupnik was this fantastic dog sitting on a pillow with tremendous fan ears and very, very funny. And so I painted Krupnik and inserted Krupnik into other images. I have another wonderful quote from you. And I think this came from your book, Beloved Dog. And it is very true that the most tender, complicated, most generous part of our being blossoms without any effort. 
when it comes to the love of a dog. You have very complicated relationships with people and questions and, and maybe conflicts, of course, and love and wonderfulness. But the authenticity of a relationship with a dog is so clear, it's so unencumbered by all of the other stuff. And in conclusion, the best part of, of that relationship is that you don't have to think. You just love. So, Myra, thank you so much for joining us today. I love your story about Pete. I love your enthusiasm and your vision. And I want your life. I want to walk in Central Park in the morning. I want to go to my studio. I want to think about what I'm going to paint that day. And I want to look for inspiration everywhere. And even though I don't paint, now I'm going to start doing that. So, thank you so much. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. And, Myra, where can we find you on Instagram? So my Instagram account is Myra Kalman. All right, wonderful. And my website is MyraKalman.com. Okay. And, and Julie Saul is my wonderful gallerist. Yes. Julie Saul Projects. Yes, she's an amazing gallerist. And Beloved Dog, I have a feeling we can find that a few places, possibly on Amazon. Yes, it's around in bookstores and on Amazon for those who like to use that. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I loved hearing about Myra's trajectory with dogs, her history with dogs, from a young age being afraid of dogs, being petrified of them, to seeing them on the street, illustrating them, her sister getting a dog, and then finally bringing Pete into her life, and then how Pete changed everything for her. She started to see a more authentic life through this experience of having him, and I love that story. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by As It Should Be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. And special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also be able to find merch in our new online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you. Thank you.